If you're familiar with the life of Winston Churchill, you undoubtedly are familiar with an incident he had with Lady Astor. They were not friends, made no pretensions to be. In fact, on one occasion, Churchill was uh, intoxicated and in a uh, hotel elevator. And Lady Astor walked up to him and said, Sir Winston, you are drunk. To which he replied, Milady, you are ugly. <laughs> he said, but in the morning I'll be sober. That's a pretty good example of what we naturally like to do. And when we can be as creative as Churchill was, we think we've done a pretty good job at retaliating. I think the first time I saw the phrase, I don't get mad, I get even, was on a bumper sticker. And that is an appropriate place for that phrase because it's on the highway that you see retaliation a lot. Now, I understand none of us ever do any kind of retaliation on the highway, but I have seen uh, where people have been driving along and all of a sudden somebody cuts someone off and they'll just do all they can to get right in front of them and cut them off. Somebody says something to you, you want to do it right back to them. Somebody waves to you from the other car, you want to wave right back to them don't you? It's in our nature when someone insults us to want to insult them back or to retaliate in some way. And yet we see this comment that the Lord Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You ever do that while you're driving? Pray for the guy that just cut you off? You ever do that? Paul said to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It's a prophecy of driving right there. Do not curse. <laughs> and yet that's a struggle. You take it out of the realm of really incidental things like conversations and elevators and uh, incidents on the highway with people you'll never see again. And you put it into the realm of people whom you either live with or extended family like Steve was sharing about or friends that you have to see, or co-workers that you have to see. The issue of forgiveness hits a lot closer to home and gets a whole lot harder to do. It's a lot easier to forgive the jerk that cuts you off on the highway when you'll never see him again. But what about the husband or the wife or the child or the friend that offends you? How do you forgive? Well, once again, Joseph gives us a model example. And let's look together in Genesis chapter 45. What is Joseph's secret? How is he able to forgive? How could a man whose brothers ruthlessly sold him to slavery 22 years earlier be so willing to forgive? What's his secret? Well, if you've been with us, you know the tension of where we are in the story right now. Twenty-two years have passed since Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, sold into slavery into Egypt. Well, now there's a famine in the land. His brothers have gone down to Egypt to buy grain. 
because that's the only place there's grain. And lo and behold, Joseph is the ruler of all Egypt. Well, his brothers don't recognize him. And so what they do is, uh, what he does is he says, well, he puts them through some tests. The test of honesty. The test of jealousy. And the test of loyalty. We saw last week that they passed all these tests. In fact, it culminated, and we saw in Genesis 44, where one of the brothers, Judah, who was the instigator in selling him into slavery, now becomes the one who says, take me instead. He becomes the one willing to be the substitute. And Joseph sees that these wicked brothers of his have been willing now and have, in fact, changed. And so now in Genesis 45, what has come to a head, now Joseph is able to reveal himself to his brothers. Let's look, starting verse 1. Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard of it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery, into Egypt. Why do you think Joseph, when he couldn't control himself any longer, he says, Have everybody leave. I mean, could he not have revealed himself there in front of all the other Egyptians and everybody else? Why did he want it to be just his brothers and him? One reason could have been that he, they had already repented of the sin, but he needed to remind them of it in order to say, I'm Joseph, and to prove it, I, I remember what you did. I am Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. I think another reason is that it was a tender moment. He's about to be reconciled with the brothers that he has been at odds with all his life. Never had a kind word for one another, and now they're about to be reconciled. And he wants it to be just them. It's interesting, up to this point, you remember Joseph has been speaking to his brothers in Egyptian because uh, he was trying to obviously disguise who he was, and so he would speak through an interpreter. An interpreter would speak Hebrew to the brothers. And even up to this point where he says, have everybody go out from me, who's he talking to? The Egyptians. So he's speaking Egyptian. So the first words that the brothers hear from this ruler who they, whom they have been intimidated by all this time, the very first words that they hear from him are Hebrew. And the words he says to them, I am Joseph. And it says that they're dismayed, or meaning that they're scared to death in his presence. And he has them come closer. And here I wonder uh, if Joseph didn't, not only in addition to Hebrew, saying, yes, I'm Joseph, and speaking Hebrew, but he also how can I say, showed himself to be a Hebrew to his brothers, asking him to come closer by virtue of his circumcision, which none of the Egyptians obviously would have undergone to show, yes, I'm a Jew. That would be another good reason for everybody to leave the room. And it's interesting to me how Joseph said couldn't control himself. He had to speak. And as the total opposite his brothers 
uh, couldn't speak. He had to, but they couldn't. The impossibility went both ways. He had to do it because he wanted to share. The first thing he asked is, how's my father? My father's still alive. See, he didn't rebuke them for what they'd done. You can see Joseph's desire is for family. His desire is to be reconciled with those that he's been apart with all this time. And he says, I am Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And that fact, in other words, Joseph hasn't forgotten what they've done. That fact would have scared them to death. Knowing this is the man whom we betrayed all those years ago. He has been playing cat and mouse with us. Our consciences have awaked. We've been falling before him in fulfillment of his dreams. Imagine all of the thoughts that immediately came to their mind, especially that we can be killed if Joseph decides to retaliate. And undoubtedly, that's what they thought he was going to do. And yet the first thing he says, after he says, I'm the one you sold into Egypt, look at what he says in verse 5. After he's revealed himself, now he reconciles himself to his brothers. He says to them, look how gentle. And now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. And you shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will also provide for you. For there are still five years of famine to come, lest you and your household and all you have be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen and you must hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them. Afterward his brothers talked with him. To me that's such a, I don't know what you say, a tender scene of the healing that it comes about through forgiveness. These brothers expected to be killed and yet what happened? They were welcomed. He wraps his arms around them. He tells them, don't worry about it. I see there was a bigger plan than you. And he falls on Benjamin's neck after 22 years. The last time he saw him is this 10-year-old boy now he's a 32-year-old man, like himself, and he hugs him and weeps on his neck. And he goes around and notice to all the brothers, to all the brothers, there is reconciliation. Wouldn't you have liked to have heard the conversations that they had? I mean, good grief, Moses was so gracious and, or generous in all the texts that he describes in this story. And then he just gives us one little sentence. His brothers talked with him. But what they say? You know, I would have loved to have heard that. How each brother went, went around and told Joseph, Oh, man, I am so sorry. 
<laughs> understatement of the year. And yet we're not given that luxury. It's almost like Moses just, just wants to draw a curtain around it. And he tells us they just talked. They just caught up. It gives them their privacy, so, so to speak. That part of the history isn't recorded. It's so intimate. Joseph forgave him. Well, there's several things in here that I think will give us great assistance as we help us learn how to forgive. And the first one, I think, is the most important. In fact, it's where you've got to start. And that is you need to know God's forgiveness yourself. He said this, he made this statement. Go, uh, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. There I'll provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have be imprisoned. You say, well... What's so hard about that? Well, think about what this is going to require the brothers to go back up to their father and say, Joseph is still alive. What would the father have said? Come again? Joseph is still alive? What's this bloody garment then I've got over here in my chest? How did that come about? And the brothers, what are they going to say? They either have to tell the father the truth or they have to come up with another pack of lies. Okay? Now, they could have come up with another pack of lies, but what happens when the father gets down to Egypt and there's Joseph? What's he going to say? Hey, these brothers, they had no idea how you got down here. Why don't you tell me? They knew that their father was going to find out how it happened. And so for them to go back and tell their father Joseph is still alive, it would have required them to say how Joseph was still alive when they presented something that proved he was dead. They could have decided, well, we don't want to have to undergo that embarrassment. Our consciences have been bothered enough. We don't want to have to deal with it, so we're going to ride off and try to find food someplace else. There was no food anyplace else. It was Joseph or death. It was coming clean before their father or death. They had no choice but to admit their sin and to accept Joseph's forgiveness and the provision that he offered. I think that Joseph was one of the most beautiful pictures of Jesus Christ in the whole Old Testament. Think about the similarities between Jesus and Joseph. Both the firstborn of their mother, both designated by the father as the heir over their brothers, both hated by their brothers because of this. In fact, they left him for dead. They forsook him. They betrayed him and figured he was dead, but no, he's alive and is Lord of all. And they can either accept the forgiveness that he offers and the provision that he offers, or they can die. That's the way it is with the Lord Jesus as well. Our pride, though, doesn't like that. Our pride, like the brothers' pride, undoubtedly, initially anyway, before they realize there is no other way, our pride doesn't want to admit that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And that's not a very popular thing to say today in an ecumenical society like we have. In a... Uh, 
a liberal society like we have, in a tolerant age like we have, where everybody's okay and everybody's truth is fine, well, is it? And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Peter made this statement, how bold it would be to say this in our society today. In Acts 4, Peter said, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No one else, no other name but Jesus. And Jesus made this statement that is so popular and well, it should be. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And Jesus rising from the dead, I think, kind of validates that statement. There is no other way for forgiveness and provision but through Jesus. Just like it was for Joseph's brothers and Joseph. They could accept the forgiveness of the Lord of the land whom they had sinned against. Or they could die. And that's really the only decisions that we have before the Lord Jesus. Because we're sinners. And He will not allow sin into heaven. That sin must be dealt with. And so, Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins. And we are promised in the Scriptures that if we will place our faith in Him, our sins are forgiven. You may have forgiveness of your sins where you sit right now. If you are willing to simply believe to accept Jesus' death on your behalf. You are then a Christian. You are then forgiven. You have then accepted the forgiveness that God has offered you. And once you've done that, then you need to forgive yourself. Why? Because God's forgiven you. What did Joseph tell his brothers? Verse 5, he says, Do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. They should have been, if there was any other time in their life, to be grieved or angry with themselves. To look back and go, you know, I wish we hadn't done that to Joseph. As they're standing right there before him, and he has the power to take their life. And yet, if there is no condemnation from Joseph to them, Joseph's telling them, don't condemn yourselves. You may feel, and I know because I've spoken with some of you, and when I was in Russia, this was the primary reason that people would not place their faith in Jesus. They felt like they were just too sinful. There's no way that Jesus' death could have paid for their sins because I am a sinner. You don't know me, is what I would hear. You don't know me. I'm a sinner. I want you to look at something the Apostle Paul wrote. 1 Timothy 1. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. And yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul saw himself as the foremost, the chief of sinners, whom Christ had come, we're told, to die for sinners. Are you a sinner? Great, you qualify. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. You say, but yeah, but I'm really a bad sinner. 
What did Paul say? I am foremost of all. Paul thought he was as well. He says, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. And yet I was shown mercy. Why? Because the grace of our Lord is more than abundant. It's not just abundant. It's not just adequate to pay for your sin. It is more than abundant. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus Christ's death on the cross, because He was God, is able to atone for an unlimited amount of sins. Because He, he was eternal. He is eternal. And for an eternal person to give himself as a sacrifice, it pays for an unlimited amount of sins. You may have noticed as you grow, perhaps, in your Christian life, the more you realize what a sinner you are. You thought you were a sinner when you trusted Christ. Ha! Boy, you start reading the Bible and you see how much more of a sinner you are. And the temptation then it often becomes to look at the Bible and see, boy, I really have fallen short of the glory of God. And to say, uh, maybe his death didn't pay for my sins. That's just what the devil wants you to think. For you to read the scriptures as a Christian and to come to a deeper and deeper knowledge of your depravity, of the depth of your sin, it's far deeper than you even realize. To come to that realization should not drive you to look into yourself and for shame. It should drive you to look to one whose grace is more than abundant, that is able to pay for all of your sins. Yes, even you, the worst of sinners. More than abundant. Your sins have been paid for. Jerry Bradshaw, your sins have been paid for. Al Petrusky, your sins have been paid for. Sanja Jacobson, your sins have been paid for. And I could call out each name of person whom I know who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you are the chief of sinners. Your sins have been paid for. And me, I'm the chief of the chief of sinners. My sins have been paid for. All of us who have placed our faith in Christ. Grace is more than abundant. So, don't punish yourself for a punishment that Jesus Christ has already died to take. Don't put shame on yourself for sin. Jesus has died to take that, sh that shame and that guilt away. There is, no, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If God's not condemning you, just like Joseph did not condemn his brothers, then the logical thing, like Joseph told his brothers, is don't be grieved or angry with yourself because of what you've done. Accept the forgiveness. Forgive yourself. Why? Because God's forgiven you. And then once you've done that, and here's where it gets hard too, forgive others because God has forgiven you. What Paul wrote in Ephesians is so relevant. It says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. If God has forgiven you who did not deserve it, me who did not deserve it, then other people who have sinned against you without you deserving it, we should forgive them as well. That's the motivation. There was a 10-year-old boy named Chris Carrier. 20 years ago, he was abducted from his home. 
the, the guy that had kidnapped him was angry with his parents and so took their child, 10-year-old boy, out to the Everglades and stabbed him repeatedly with an ice pick, took cigarette, repeatedly burned him, and just before he left, shot him in the head and left him for dead. Well, miraculously, Chris survived and grew up, and no one was ever arrested for it. And just a few years ago, a man named David McAllister confessed to the crime. Well, now Chris Carrier, the young boy, has grown up. He is now a youth pastor. He heard this, and he went up to the nursing home and found this blind 77-year-old man who had done all this to him as a 10-year-old boy. And uh, he began to read the Bible to him. He began to pray with him, began to share Christ with him. And the 77-year-old man placed his faith in Jesus Christ as a result of this person whom he had left for dead 20 years earlier. Listen to what Chris Carrier said. He says, Many people can't understand how I could forgive David McAllister. From my point of view, I couldn't not forgive him. If I'd chosen to hate him all these years or spent my life looking for revenge, then I wouldn't be the man I am today, the man my wife and children love, the man that God has helped me to be. He was able to forgive others because God had forgiven him. It's the same thing for us. You know, it's one thing to forgive somebody when you have to, like my daughters forgive one another because I make them do it. Or when we are in a crowd of people, a room of people, and somebody apologizes to us, well, if we don't forgive them, they're in front of everybody, then we look like the bad guy. There's a difference between forgiving when you have to and forgiving when you don't have to. Like in Joseph's case. He could have snapped his fingers and had them all executed. He had them completely in his power like they had him 22 years earlier. That's probably why they were so afraid, realizing how they had responded with that power. And, but instead, Joseph used it as we should, as an opportunity to show God's mercy, not as an opportunity to retaliate and get even. There is so much more satisfaction in living like the Lord Jesus and forgiving than there is in getting even. Forgive others. Why? Because God's forgiven you. And finally, this is, I think, the major thrust of this passage today. A way that you can forgive others is by recognizing God's sovereignty. That His control of all events is what sovereignty means. Look at these verses that I've selected from the passage on the screen. Joseph said, You sold me here, for God sent me. God, verse 7, God sent me before you. Verse 8, now therefore it was not you who sent me, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. I count at least five times in these verses, in Joseph's speech, where he says, this was God's doing. And three times in particular, he says, God sent me here. And what's funny is he also says, you sold me here. So which is it? Did they send him there or did God send him there? Answer, yes. Both. And yet for different reasons. One sent him there out of hatred. The other sent him there in spite of the hatred to fulfill a higher purpose. In fact, that's what he means when he says, you didn't send me, but God did. He doesn't mean that you didn't send me. He means ultimately, I'm not here because of you. 
ultimately, I'm here because God sovereignly chose me to come down here to preserve life. And so we see here a principle here that makes us real uncomfortable. And that is the fact that God causes all things to work for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It's taught in the New Testament, and we see it all the way back here in the very first book of the Bible as well. That God uses even the evil things that happen in our lives for a greater good. Now, you think Joseph understood that at the time? You think Joseph understood why his brothers hated him? Why his brothers threw him in the pit? Why he was unjustly accused of Potiphar's wife? Why he was in the prison all those years? You think he understood all that at the time? No, he didn't. But now, looking back, he can say, Now I see how you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. He wouldn't retaliate, not just because they had changed, but because he recognized God's sovereignty. And so he was able to forgive them, recognizing that this was ultimately God's purpose, that God would have got him there uh, in spite of them, even if they had chosen to not do the evil that they had done. But don't misunderstand me here. I'm not saying that, that forgiving somebody who does evil to you because God sovereignly works in our lives justifies the evil that they do. Okay, The end doesn't, doesn't justify the means in that regard. The, the, the evil that they did was still wrong, still had evil consequences both for Joseph and for the brothers. There was pain because of sin, and there always will be pain because of sin. The point is, in spite of sin... In spite of our evil actions, God's purposes will not be thwarted in our lives. It doesn't matter what people do to you. Ultimately, God's will for your life will be fulfilled because He is sovereign. He is in control. We are not at the mercy of the devil. There's an old hymn that I really like. It goes, Tempted and tried, we are oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long, while there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. When death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves our home so lonely and drear. Then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked year after year. And then the chorus, farther along we'll know all about it. Farther along we'll understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. That's not just a pious, fun song to sing. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. What comfort does that give you when you're not in the sunshine, but when you're in the storm? The comfort that it gives you is, while we don't understand why death takes our loved ones, while we don't understand why the wicked prosper, why Joseph didn't understand what happened to him, why you and I aren't understanding now what we're going through, we don't have to. We'll understand that all by and by that God is working in our lives for good. So we can cheer up because we know that God's purpose for our life in spite of evil is not going to be thwarted. There's, been a, there's a prayer that Peter Marshall wrote, and we've put it in your message notes in the bulletin. And I'm not going to read it, but I want to point it out to you in case you don't ever look at this. At the bottom, it says, For Release for Resentment by Peter Marshall. This is a prayer that is one he's written to 
I guess kind of assist your thinking. You're praying to ask God give you assistance in forgiving somebody. And it includes some of the things that we've talked about today. So I'll just leave that for you to look at on your own time, perhaps your own prayer time, especially if you're struggling in forgiving others or even forgiving yourself for uh, things that have happened in the past. We are able to forgive because we've received forgiveness. Forgiveness starts by knowing God's forgiveness yourself. There's provision nowhere else. Nowhere else. Secondly, you forgive yourself because God's forgiven you. Forgive others because God's forgiven you. And you can forgive others because of God's sovereignty, recognizing that He is in control. I'd like us to sing a song that is relevant to every aspect of the forgiveness that we've talked about today, particularly of knowing God's forgiveness yourself, which is where all of the ability to forgive begins. It's called Nothing But the Blood. In fact, why don't we stand up and sing this together. After the first 10 seconds, you'll know the whole song. It's good. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What my part in this I see. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing this I plea. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. A little slower and think about these words. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow, that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, indeed, there is nothing that is our righteousness, nothing is our hope and peace, in fact, we have no righteousness, no hope, no peace if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ when He died on that cross to pay for our sins, making us who stand as if before a Joseph, having sinned against Him. Lord, we stand before You having sinned, and yet 
your outstretched hand of forgiveness offered to any who will accept it. I pray, Lord, for the one who is here today and is hoping to find forgiveness through any other way that you might so move in their heart to repent and to realize there is no other way but through the Lord Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And Lord, as we walk through this life and offend one another and offend ourselves through our sin, help us because of the forgiveness Jesus offers to forgive ourselves and to forgive others. In his name we pray. Amen.